few weeks ago, I stumbled across a blog post that a lady named Katie Rotano had put online back in 2015. Now, I didn't see it all the way back then. I just saw it a few weeks ago, but it stuck with me. I was kind of skimming through some things when I found it, and this thing literally stuck with me. And I began shaping today's message after reading what she had put online. The title of her blog was really the most intriguing thing to me. Take a look at it. Tired of everyone posting John 3.16? 25 lesser known but awesome scripture verses. That was the title of this thing. And she had me with, tired of everyone posting John 3.16? You see it all the time on social media. People will utilize that passage of Scripture for good reason. There's wonderful teaching in it, simple teaching in it. That's why everybody grabs hold of it the way they do. But her point was, there are some lesser known passages that are as awesome as John 3.16. And so, she had me. She went through 25 different passages that she believed could be placed right alongside John 3.16. For the sake of time today, I'm not going to show you all 25. I just took 10 of her passages. I copied and pasted them, utilizing the translations that she utilized, so I did not change this at all. These are 10 of the ones that Katie Rotano would say are equally as valuable as John 3.16. And I agree. Take a look. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. I have no argument with that. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. We'll look at that one again a little later in the message. And uh, once again, no argument. Man, that's powerful teaching. Because he himself was tested through what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. The writer of Hebrews would write that about Jesus in chapter 2, verse 18 of his book. So glad he did. It humanizes Jesus, helps us understand the humanity as it came together with the divinity to make Jesus who he was. Fantastic passage of scripture. I command you, be firm and steadfast. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Anybody that sits right on the front end of a new season in life and a new challenge should pay attention to Joshua chapter 1, particularly this verse. Katie was right in putting it on her list. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job chapter 1, verse 21. You ever need to change your perception of things? You read that verse. Listen to a man named E.V. Hill 30 years ago preach his wife's funeral message based on that passage. And it's stuck with me all these years. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. God is not man that he should lie or a son of man that he should repent. Has he said and will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not fulfill it? Numbers chapter 23 verse 9 teaches us that God is who he is. You have been told, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you. Only to do the right or do the right and to love goodness and to walk humbly with your God. Micah chapter 6 verse 8, passage of scripture I've loved a long time. 
John chapter 1 verse 12 says, but to those who did accept him, he gave power to become children of God. Every one of us that carries that name, that title, a child of God, boy, this verse tells us that it's powerful. James chapter 3 verse 13, who among you is wise? Let him show his works by a good life and the humility that comes from wisdom. It's a transforming verse. It really is. Revelation chapter 22, verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let the hearers say, come. Let the one who thirsts come forward and the one who wants it receive the gift of life-giving water. That's the invitation of Jesus to all mankind. Katie did a good job putting together the passages that she did. These are just 10 out of her 25. Now, after she finished her blog post, she put a, an invitation at the end of it. That invitation looked just like this. What else should make it on this list? I was really intrigued to see what other people would add. I was, I was not just intrigued, I was curious beyond all imagination because I figured with an invitation like this, she was going to be flooded with responses. Now, I should tell you that when Katie posted her blog, she did so in academic circles. So I expected a lot of academic responses. I expected that entire world, that entire culture to jump on what she had just put out here. Now, if you remember, I told you that she posted this in 2015. It still remains up, and people can still post to it today. I was, well, what's the right word? Disappointed by the number of responses. To the best of my knowledge, in seven years, four people, four people in academic circles responded to her invitation to add to the list. Only four, only four. So I put mine on. This is it. From Galatians chapter 6, starting in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That is, in my estimation, a lesser-known yet amazing passage of Scripture with a whole lot to teach. If we will slow down and pay attention to it, it will challenge us, it will encourage us, it will transform us, it will shape us, it will do all kinds of different things if we will just allow this passage of Scripture to go to work in our lives. And that's what I want us to do this morning. I want us to allow this passage of Scripture, lesser known, amazing passage of Scripture, I want us to allow it to go to work in our lives. So if you brought a Bible with you, open up to Galatians chapter 6. Now in all fairness... I have to tell you that I started in verse 7. And if we really want to mine the depths of this passage, we're going to have to back up to verse 6. This particular passage gets misused all the time. 
People, when they read it, will find a lot of different applications, but most of them are not the right applications. Most applications that people find as they go through verses 7 through 10 of chapter 6 in the book of Galatians don't have anything to do with what the Apostle Paul was talking about. And the reason folks fail to mine the depths of this passage is because they skip verse 6. It's like throwing a rock out on the water and you get into it on the second bounce. You miss the first bounce. And people miss the first bounce of the rock because verse 6 contains some teaching that a lot of people just don't want to spend time with. Let me show you what I mean by that. This is Galatians chapter 6, verse 6. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Put the rock on the water. That's the first skip. Paul is talking about material things. He is talking about money. And the reason people want to skip right over this is because we don't like what the Bible has to say about money. So we get in on the second bounce of the rock. And it is truly tragic that we do that. Because what Paul's really doing here is teaching us a precept. I don't know if you've ever studied the Word of God looking for precepts, but you should. And maybe you don't know what a precept is. If that's the case, then let me define it for you so that you will know what you're looking for and this verse will make a little more sense to you. This is definition of a precept. Any commandment, instruction, or order intended as a rule of action or conduct it's a responsibility God puts on his people. And Galatians chapter 6, verse 6 is a precept. Now, if you're a note taker in your Bible, I would encourage you to draw a line out into the margin of your Bible and write the word precept next to verse 6. You may even want to draw some parentheses around it because it teaches the concept of precepts in Scripture very, very well. There is a responsibility that is being placed on all believers in this verse. And if we want to just simplify the precept, we can do that very easily. This is it. If there is somebody that is teaching the Word of God and you are receiving a blessing from their teaching, then the precept says you support them financially so that they can continue their study and their teaching. They can stay focused solely on what they're doing. Now, you're hearing that from a preacher, so let me say this. I just want to make sure you don't think that there's any hidden agenda here at all. There is not. As a church, you are very, very generous to me as a teacher. So there is no hidden agenda here whatsoever. I'm not saying, now you know what, a loaded handshake at the back would sure be nice. That is not the case. I just want you to see the precept as Scripture lays it out. Paul is saying if there is somebody that has devoted their life to studying God's Word and teaching God's Word, then you support them so that they can remain focused on that. And as a result of their study and their teaching, you will continue to grow. It's a wonderful, wonderful process that God put in place for His people. And that's the precept. Now, everything else that follows in this passage is based on that precept. Remove the precept and you lose the meaning of the passage. 
Does that make sense? Shake your head yes. But put the precept in place and everything begins to show up the way it is supposed to. So if you get verse 6 in mind, by the time you get to verse 7, you're ready to get into the depth of the passage. Take a look now. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Now we're getting into the depth of of the passage. In a Bible study technique or tool type of way of looking at this, what you find in verse 7 is the principle that undergirds the precept. So if you're a note taker, draw a line out into the margin of your Bible and write the word principle. Because when you find a precept in Scripture, most often you will find a principle that illustrates the precept. Does that make sense? Shake your head yes. This is the principle. And the principle is actually quite amazing. What it is showing us is the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping is evidenced all through our society. We have another name for it that is used outside of Christianity, outside of biblical studies or outside of the church. It's called the law of cause and effect. The law of cause and effect. The law of cause and effect keeps the whole world operating the way it's supposed to and keeps us from spinning into chaos. The law of cause and effect, or biblically the law of sowing and reaping, says that where we choose to invest whatever it is that we are investing, money, time, whatever it might be, where we choose to invest is where we will reap the rewards. Now, because we misuse this passage, we miss the whole point of all of this. Now, remember what Paul's talking about in chapter 6 is using our financial abilities to help strengthen the church by keeping teachers doing what they are doing. Financially, the principle is really simple. Where you invest your material things becomes an evidence or becomes an example of how valuable spiritual things are to you. If you are investing financially in the kingdom, and that's what Danny Brossman was talking about just a few minutes ago, if you're planting trees in the kingdom of God and you get to see them grow, that's the cause and effect, the sowing and the reaping. I am planting financially in the kingdom of God, expecting that I'm going to see the reward from it. I'm going to see the effect from it but you can apply it. You can apply it to anything else in your life. What you invest in is where you're going to reap the rewards or the effects. And it could be both positive or negative. This is about making choices. This is about the decisions that sit in front of us. How we approach them, what we choose to invest within them determines The outcome. See how this works? It's the law of sowing and reaping. What I sow, where I sow, will determine what I reap and how I reap. Law of cause and effect. The choices that I make will determine the outcomes. I want you to let that soak in for just a minute. The choices that I make will determine the outcomes that I live with. The choices that I make will determine the path that I stay on. 
That's the way the law of sowing and reaping or the law of cause and effect works. And it is, it's visible everywhere around us. Let me give you a couple examples. It's not my intention to kick the political dog, but this just happens to be in front of us all the time. You cannot, listen, you cannot remove personal responsibility from people and then defund the police and scream when crime runs rampant. You cannot do that. So when you remove personal responsibility from people and you remove the consequences for actions, maybe you paid attention this last year to entire cities and states that decided to decriminalize, that's the term they use, decriminalize certain things, but then they just expect people to govern themselves and no longer have to wrestle with these particular issues. Well, it didn't work. And so now those cities, those communities, and entire states are screaming, hey, no fair, because people are not governing themselves. Instead, they are living in an unbridled fashion with nothing to hold them back. And they're yelling and screaming and complaining because crime is running rampant in their communities, their cities, and their states. The law of sowing and reaping is at effect, or in play. You cannot do that and expect a different outcome. When a farmer plants a wheat seed, his expectation is that he is going to harvest wheat. That's the law of sowing and reaping. It is the principle of cause and effect. And it applies to so many things in life, from how we invest money spiritually to what we do in the realm of crime as a community to how we make a choice to plant a crop that we want to harvest. Choices come into play here. It's the law of cause and effect. By the way, parents, I want to encourage you to continue this conversation this afternoon with your children. You talk about the law of sowing and reaping with them and you put all kinds of practical applications into your conversation. Keep this going because the law of sowing and reaping is evident. It is visible all through the Bible just as it is evident and visible all through our life and through our culture. So continue the conversation this afternoon with your kids. Talk about the law of sowing and reaping. Talk about the principle of cause and effect and help them see how the choices that they make determine the outcome. Keep the conversation going because it is valuable. Now, we've looked at the precept and then we have the Apostle Paul showing us the principle that illustrates the precept. But there is more at work in this passage this is why I would say it is a lesser known but awesome passage of scripture that needs to be added to the list. Now, we already know that most people miss the depth of this passage because they start in verse 7, skipping over verse 6, so they find all kinds of different applications for it. And the reason that most people miss it is because of skipping verse 6, but then applying their own personalities to verse 7 and verse 8. So take a look there again. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Verse 8, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. 
Traditionally, what we do when we teach this passage or we study it is we make it about eternal life versus a life of sin or a life in the flesh. We make it about spiritual warfare rather than just making it as practical as it really is. And it's not a bad thing to do that. It really isn't. But we are missing the point of the passage. And if we will back up to the passage and really, really start digging and getting into the depth of it, we will find things like this. We will reap whatever we have sown and we will reap in proportion to what we have sown. The principle, when we really stop and chew on it, will teach us that. There's a proportion at work here. Look at this again. We will reap whatever we have sown, and we will reap in proportion to what we have sown. I like the way the book of 2 Corinthians illustrates that in chapter 9, verse 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. That's the depth of the passage. That is the depth of the passage. We will reap in proportion to what we have sown. The effects of your choices will be in proportion to what you have sown within them, good and bad. The law of sowing and reaping, the law of cause and effect. So when we understand the proportion side of this, we can really begin to see what Paul was teaching in Galatians chapter 6. So you have the precept, and you have the principle, and now you have the proportion side of it that helps you understand how you invest in every choice that you make, every decision that you make. Law of sowing and reaping. You are going to reap in proportion to what you have sown. For just a second, let's apply it on the negative. If you make a bad decision and you go all in in that bad decision, you can expect that you are going to reap all of the effects of that bad decision. That's the negative side of it. Flip the nickel over and apply it to the good side. If you make a good decision and you go all in in that good decision, you are going to reap the effects of the good decision. But here's the thing, you will reap that in God's timing, in God's timing. So let's go back to Galatians chapter 6. We have looked at the principle, or the precept, we have looked at the principle that illustrates it, we've now seen how proportion comes into play, I want to show you the promise that we find in this passage, it's in verse 9. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. That places, that places the reward in God's timing. So sometimes that means that we have to stay the course, even when it looks like we're not on the right path. But if you know you are, you stay the course. You don't change from it. You continue on the path that you know God wants you to be on no matter what, and the reward is up to God, but it is a promise from him that is tied to a precept, so take it to the bank. 
When God says something, he means it. If God promises something, he will always fulfill it. He will always fulfill it. I want to show you an example of that this morning. There is a fellow in the Old Testament. He is one of those often overlooked people that shouldn't be. When Moses sent the 12 spies into Canaan, this man, his name is Caleb, was one of the two good ones. He came back with Joshua with a good report. As you read the Old Testament, it may actually appear to you that Caleb came back with the strongest good report. And Joshua just kind of put his amen with Caleb. Caleb was one that came back and said, yep, there's giants in the land, but I'll tell you what, it's a land that we need to have. And if God said we can take it, we can take it. We can even kill the giants and drive them out of there. Caleb was absolutely convinced that with God on their side, the Israelites would possess the land that God had promised them. That is Caleb. Caleb is one of only two people, himself and Joshua, that would actually leave Egypt as a slave and enter the promised land as one of God's children. All the others, because they doubted God's ability, died over the course of 40 years in the wilderness. Caleb and Joshua were the only ones over the age of 20 that entered the promised land because of the law of sowing and reaping, the law of cause and effect, because they made the right choices. And Caleb made the right choices all of his life, yet he wandered in the wilderness for 40 years with the other Hebrew people. It might not seem right that Caleb had to do that, but in the, the law of cause and effect, the law of sowing and reaping, when you look at the precept illustrated by the principle and then you see the promise come true, there is possibly no one better than Caleb to illustrate that. So let me show you, back in the book of Joshua, chapter 14, what it looked like for Caleb. I love this story. This is the kind of story that will get blood pumping in you. Your heart will start beating a little bit faster when you hear this. Here we go. Joshua chapter 14, verse 6. A little background for you. They are now on the other side of the Jordan River. They have already defeated several different places. The division of land has happened. And now Joshua is telling people where they're going to go and live. Caleb steps up, and it's his turn to receive his inheritance. That's where we're at, verse 6. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, at Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness. Let's stop there for just a second and do some biblical math. It was all just laid out for us here in a perfect story problem. Caleb was how old when he went in to spy out the land? And now it is how many years later? 45. That makes Caleb how old? He is 85 years old. 
Say that a little louder so that it sticks with you. He is. How old is he? Okay, there's only like four people in here that have done this math. Let's try again. I know it's early. He's how old? 85 years old. Listen to what happens next. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is my strength, as was my strength then, for war and for going and coming. So now give me this hill country of which the Lord spoke on that day. For you heard on that day how the Anakim were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him, and he gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, for an inheritance. Therefore, Hebron became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, to this day, because he wholly followed the Lord, the God of Israel. Now the name of Hebron formerly was Kirith Arba. Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim, and the land had rest from war. I love this. Caleb is 85 years old. He stands in front of Joshua And he says, give me the hill country. Let everybody else have the flat land. I'm 85 years old, but I'm as strong as I was when we started this journey. Give me the hill country. I will take the hill. I will take the mountain. He had some Jim Ray in him. I will take the mountain. And oh, by the way, there are giants that live there. I'll take them too. I will take them too. You know why Caleb could say that? You know why he could be convinced of what would happen? Because of the law of sowing and reaping. Caleb had made the right decisions all the way along. And so at 85 years old, when other people were fading into the background, when other people were saying, let the young people take it, Caleb stepping forward saying, "Uh uh-uh, I'll take the hill country. I'll drive the giants out because it ain't over for me, not yet. Because I have made all these right choices all the way along, it isn't finished. And God promised me something a long time ago, and I'm about to live that promise, no matter what it takes. I have never faded, I have never fainted, and I am ready to take the hill country. When we make the right choices in the law of sowing and reaping, the time will come to reap. And when it does, you take the hill country. You take the hill country. You tell God, don't give me an easy task now. Not now. Not after all this time with you. Not now. I will take the hill country and I will defeat the giants. And you will go with me. The law of sowing and reaping says that something that God promised, though it might have been a long time ago, it is still a promise of God and you better be ready when the time comes to live in the promise of God. That may very well be at the end of our life. It may be when we stand in the presence of him, but the promise of God, you already took it to the bank, so you be ready to receive it. And if it means taking the hill country and killing the giants, then you take the hill country and you kill the giants. And you live in the promise of God. Because the law of sowing and reaping says that I have made the right choices. And I know that I've made the right choices. And so now I am ready for the promise, God. I am ready for the promise. You make the right choices. This year... It is my prayer for you that you will take the hill country and that you will drive the giants out and you will make the right choices that position you in the precepts of God to see the principle of God illustrated in your life that you might live in the promise of God. That's my prayer for you this year and for us as a church 
that we will look at every opportunity in front of us and say, give us the hill country, God, we'll go get it. We will go get it because we've not faded. And we have not faded. And it is my prayer for you as an individual that you will say, that's what I want. I want to be like Caleb that says, I've been faithful all these years. Lord, I'm ready for the promise. I'm ready for the promise. You might say, how can we know that we can do that? I want to give you four things. Four things this morning as we finish this out that will help you make the right choices. Here they are. Number one, four keys to sowing to reap. Number one, make choices that allow you to trust God that it's going to work out for your good. If there is a question, you are probably on the wrong path. So if you come up against a decision that you have to make and you're wondering, is this right? And you're not positive about it and you know that there are some questionable aspects to it, then you're on the wrong path. So it is as simple as making choices that allow you to trust God that it's gonna work out for your good and you can trust that because Romans chapter eight, verse 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. So if you have measured your decisions against the word of God and they match up, then move forward. Move forward. But if there is a check in your spirit, push the brakes and pull back because you may very well be on the wrong path until you know that this is where God wants you to be don't plow ahead you wait until it is confirmed within you and you may need some help with that so number two can do it make your plans his plans Proverbs chapter 16 verse 3 says commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established Now, this is all about you saying, I'm going to do what God has told me to do, and I am going to honor the Lord in a way that that will be evident, not only to me, but to him. I like the way 2 Corinthians says this. This is chapter 1, verse 20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Lord, I am walking in match step with you. The decisions that I'm making, I have laid them against your word and I have found direction there. I know this is your plan and so I will move forward with it. If it's my plan, I better be careful. After I finished this message, I saw a post show up on social media this week that caused me to say, hey, that fits right with what we are talking about in number two. This is the way the post read. Cultural Christianity which is all around us today. Cultural Christianity says God exists for my agendas. But biblical Christianity says I exist for God's mission. So you be careful as you're making choices and decisions that you're not fitting within the parameters of cultural Christianity, which says I just want to get God to mold himself around me. Rather, I want to be molded by him that I will be in his mission squarely with him i'll put my yes right there i'll put my amen fully with god and i'll take the hill country and kill some giants along the way we'll get them out of the way and i will live in the promises of god you may still need some help with that number three we'll do it find people you trust and get their insight listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future Proverbs chapter 19, verse 20 says, surround yourself with godly advisors. And when you are thinking to yourself, is this how God wants me to move forward? And you don't know, 
then you ask them and maybe they have insight that you don't. So surround yourself with godly advisors. And here's number four. Remember, every day is a brand new opportunity. So don't let yesterday define today. We all make mistakes. We all make mistakes. And we can look back over our life and say there's a trail of mistakes. Things I should have done differently and I know where my mistake was made. I know how I messed it up. Here's the beautiful part of grace and mercy. That was yesterday. Today is a new day. Live in the newness of today. This is one of those often overlooked yet amazing passages. Lamentations chapter three, we read it right at the beginning of the message, seems fitting to end with it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If you look back and think to yourself, I have made a bunch of mistakes. There's no way I'm ever gonna get to move into the promises of God because I've made too many mistakes. Then you do not understand grace. You do not understand God's mercies. They are new every morning. Today's a new day. Tomorrow is a new day. Start fresh. Start fresh with the Lord. And look at the precepts. If God said it, do it. If God said it, do it. If God said don't do it, don't do it. Because God doesn't say don't do it lightly. He says don't do it to protect you. So if God says don't do it, don't do it. And then move into the principles of God that you might live in the promises of God. And when the time comes, you be ready. You be ready in the opportunities of God to say, yes, Lord, I'll take the hill country. 85 years old. I'll take the hill country. I'll kill some giants. And I'll live in your promises. Man, that's the way we ought to approach 2023. If you have choices ahead of you, if you have choices ahead of you, and you know you do, and some of them are big. As I'm looking around this room, I know some of you are facing big choices in the coming days, weeks, and months. And I want you to apply these types of ideas, the precepts of God, that you might live in the principles of God. Make the right choices. So when the time comes, you're ready for the hill country. So this morning, as we close out this message, we all want to offer you two opportunities. One is to go talk with somebody. If you need to apply number three out of those four things that we just put up there, if you need to talk with somebody and pray with somebody, I want to encourage you to do that. Jim's going to be over here at this door. When the service is over, just go over to Jim and say, Jim, I, just, I need to talk with somebody and pray with somebody. I need, I need some counsel. I need some help. Man, there's, there's something admirable in that. Go and do that. But I want to offer you another invitation. In fact, why don't we all just stand right now? I want to offer you another invitation. If you have some choices that you're needing to make and you know they're sitting in front of you, I want to invite you to come up here to the front and I'll, I'll pray with you. I'll pray with you as the service is over. I'll pray with you before it's over. We'll pray together asking God to lead us through that. So just want to give you a minute. If you want to come up here to the front because you know you have some things in the coming year that you have to deal with, just join me up here in the front and we're going to pray together. Sweet. Nobody has anything that they have to deal with this next year. I don't want to push you to 
do something that you don't want to or put you in a position where you're thinking, mm, I don't, don't know that I need to do that. But if you do have some big things, come join us. All right. Now let's pray together. Father in heaven, the coming year is going to have some interesting challenges for a lot of people. We know that because every year does. It's nothing new or groundbreaking for us, not at all. Lord, Bible even tells us that we will face challenges. But the Bible would also tell us that we will need wisdom when we do. So I appreciate those that are bold enough to ask for your wisdom. I pray you will give it to them. I pray, Lord, that that wisdom will be beyond themselves, that the answers will come directly from you, but when they do, I pray that those that are seeking your direction will know that you have spoken. Father, as others seek out godly counsel, hopefully even this morning, I pray you will grant to them what they need. I pray that they'll hear you. And I pray that they'll be ready to move like Caleb into the hill country of big choices. Maybe even the hill country full of giants. If that's the case, go with them, Lord. Go with them. I want to thank you today for the precepts of Scripture that put responsibility on us. Help us see them. But Father, I'm equally grateful that you put promises with most all those precepts. Help us see the promises and keep them in front of us so that we're always headed towards them. Thank you, Father, for your great love and mercy and the gift of grace in your Son. And thank you for the promise of heaven and presence with you. In Jesus' name, amen.